Mark Taylor, everybody. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Um, I'm so excited to have a new year with you. Uh, it, it's a new year, and I even talked a little bit last week that there are some uh, unhealthy emotions and behaviors and maybe even relationships in your life that do not need to go with you in the 2017. They need to stay in the past. But there are some emotions and behaviors that will go with you into this next year, whether you want them to or not. I, uh, I've reflected even with some of you of all the many new births that have happened in the life of this church and wonderful testimonies of what God has done in the lives of people, yet we also acknowledge that we lost some really great people in the life of this church. And there are emotions like grief that just don't go away. So wherever we are today, we just surrender what we have to God. And you know, my prayer for you and what I want for you this year, it's not the best for you, even though I I guess kind of, I, I guess I do, but what I want for you, it's not just the best. I want God for you in 2017. Uh, So what I want to do today is I want to try to give you some, just maybe a theological foundation, some practical application of some things that can guide your life in 2017. But I know that you're going to be hearing this sermon and even interpreting this sermon from a lot of different places in your life. Uh, So uh, just with all that said, I I pray that the Spirit of God can awaken some hearts and get us ready to live a year uh, for God this year individually and also uh, as a church. God has given us a vision that here in this church, we are about the restoration of God. The restoration is defined as bringing dead things to life. It's what God does. It's a return to life. So we want to be about the restoration of hearts, communities, and relationships throughout the world. That God wants to awaken a heart like the testimony you heard this morning. Wants to awaken hearts to God. We, we think God cares about relationships, marriages, and families, and racial reconciliation. We think God cares about those things. And we also think God cares about communities. That the church doesn't just exist for itself. And it's not just about having healthy families. But that the church has something to say about um, education and Child, de, de, child development throughout our city and boarded up buildings that need to be made uh, into something that for job creation, community development, these things. We know where we're going. And whenever you know where you're going, you have to know how, how are we going to get there? Why are we going to get there? Uh, so I know as a, as a leadership, there are places that we, we go to a lot and prayers we pray. And I think of Galatians 4.19 quite a bit. And this is that place where Paul, it just, just one little verse, what he says is, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You get this sense of a leader who loves a church with such passion that what the image he uses, now some of you ladies are going to knock Paul when you get to heaven one day, you're going to be like, dude, you're, you're grabbing a metaphor that you have no clue about, all right? But he's, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Um, over the last few weeks, I've, I've read the entire New Testament or I listened to it driving to Texas and back whenever my family was sleeping or taking naps or my boys were playing technology in case he was napping. I was just, I was listening to the word of God. And the more I listened to it, I was reminded of all those places throughout scripture that talk about growing up into Christ, maturing in the Jesus, that there's this goal and this prize is set in front of you. and, And God is trying to take you to that next step. That next place, Second Peter chapter 1 is a place that I just I fixated and it became a prayer uh, for you. It's up on the screen. You can open your Bibles at Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3. But here's what it says. His divine power has given us everything needed for life. As I've read through the New Testament uh, over the last uh, couple of months, I, I'm, I shouldn't be as shocked as I was to see how many times the word power shows up in the New Testament. The power of God. 
um, that the power that Jesus has to raise people from the dead, to bring dead things to life, the Spirit's power, and not just the power of God and Jesus and the Spirit, but the power that has been given to believers, this authority that has been given to us to, to speak life in places where there is no life. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust, and may become participants of the divine nature. I love that phrase, become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must take every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mature affection, and mature affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want any of us to be ineffective and unfruitful this year. I don't want the Sycamore View Church to be ineffective and unfruitful. So there are these disciplines that are placed in front of us, these words that we cherish and we cling to and we, and we chase after. Two words, I want to work us through the day for your own life. I want to show you how these play out in the life of Jesus and hopefully can give some practical application for you moving forward. And the two words are rhythm and roots. Um, now, some of you hear the words rhythm and roots and you're like, well, I, I have some roots, but I don't have any of that other, right? Uh, I want to talk just for a few minutes about rhythm and roots, how you see these in the life of Jesus, how you see them in our lives as well. Uh, It was about eight years ago, I was reflecting on this recently, about eight years ago, I told you a story about some rhythm in my own life. I was a sophomore in college. There were 20 of us that took a weekend trip to the Fort Worth area. And one thing we did while we were gone uh, is we went to a minor league hockey game. So you had 20 sophomores at Abilene Christian University who went to this hockey game. And at the hockey game, during the first intermission, 20 minutes long, they're playing a lot of music. And we were just 20 college students having a lot of fun. So we're dancing along with the music, having a good time. We didn't know that the lady in charge of entertainment saw us having a good time. So she came over to us and she said, would any of you like to enter into a dance competition in the second intermission? And being a guy who still has some dreams of being in a Justin Timberlake video one day, I was like, yeah, you know, why not? Okay. And, and I said, but I would like to do it under one condition. And she looked at me like, dude, we don't play. We don't like bargain when we ask people to enter into competitions. But what is it? And I said, can my friends come down and like surround us while whoever the, uh, the competitors are have this game, dance competition? And she said, we'll do even better than that. We'll put up on the big screen where you're from. And little did I know how much we were going to be representing our alma mater in this moment, you know. So, so during the second intermission, there are 20 of us that went down there. And then all the dance uh, competitors, which was myself and a few others, were there along with the mascot of this minor league hockey game, uh, this, this team. And, and up on the big screen, they started naming the contestants. And there was my name. And, and one of our competitors today is Josh Ross the Bible major from Abilene Christian (laughs) University. (laughs) This is great. Uh, uh, And and then the music started, and it went for about 60 seconds, which can feel like eternity. And for 60 seconds, I danced my face off. I'm going to spare you the moves that I used that day, all right? But I was dancing. And then after that, they put their hand over every contestant. And whoever the crowd yelled for the loudest was going to be the winner. And sure enough, the crowd yelled loudest for me, all right? So then they said, and now our winner is Josh Ross, the Bible major from Abilene Christian University. And he has just won a $20 gift certificate to Hooters. Uh, 
<clears throat> and uh, I was like, what am I going to do with that, all right? So, <laughs> so I took it home to my parents that night, and I was like, you'll never believe what I did. Your 19-year-old son just won a dance competition. Look what I won. And my mother framed it on the wall of her house. And I don't know if she framed it because she was so proud of me or she framed it because she knew if she framed it, her boy couldn't use it, right? I don't know what kind of rhythm you have in your life. And rhythm really isn't even a word that shows up a lot in Scripture. But rhythm is something you have in Genesis 1 where there's rhythm to creation. God speaks, something happens. God speaks, creation is formed. God speaks and creation does stuff. And throughout Scripture, you have this rhythm of God. And and I want to show you in a moment where rhythm shows up in the life of Jesus. But there's this place in Galatians 5 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is a great place for you to revisit every once in a while, where it uses language like live by the Spirit, and not just live by the Spirit, but keep in step with the Spirit. That when the Spirit moves, you move. The Spirit tells you to jump three times, you jump three times. The Spirit says slide to the right, you slide to the right. Slide to the left, slide to the left. Wherever the Spirit goes, you go. Where the Spirit moves, you move. There's rhythm, and there needs to be some rhythm in our lives in 2017. Not just rhythm, there also needs to be some roots. The Bible talks quite a bit about roots. Establishing roots, having roots that go deep in God. Um, I've referred in the past, I know I've had some conversations with some of you in here. I I love the Bay Area. It's one of my favorite places in the United States. And I was visiting the Bay Area for the first time with a group of freshmen from ACU. We were on a spring break campaign. It was one week that I look back on one of the most pivotal weeks in my walk with Jesus when God just opened my eyes to, to a kind of a culture I'd never been a part of, to see what God was doing outside of the Bible belt that I was raised in in the Dallas area. And, and one day after, man, we did ministry with, with the homeless and we lived in a halfway house and we did ministry in the largest uh, city jail in the, in the United States and uh, doing all this every day. But there was one day that our leaders decided to take us to Muir Woods. It's a redwood forest. Some of you have been there. So we took this bus and we went into this place and we walked around for a little while and you can just see these trees. Will you go to that next picture just to give you a little more reference to how big these trees are? And after walking around 30 minutes, our leaders huddled us up and they said, okay, hey, 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 here's what we're going to do. For one hour, you need to find some place in this forest where you sit alone and just spend time with God. Now, this was the year 2000, all right? So cell phones are kind of on the scene, but most of us didn't have cell phones at the time. So it's not like you could go and, you know, get distracted. So it was just us with a journal, a pen for an hour, spending time with God. And when you walk through a place like Muir Woods where these trees grow to 300 feet, where they grow as wide as, I mean, you can drive cars through them, it's like you're in God's sanctuary. It's like you're in, have you ever walked in a place where you just felt like it was a sacred place, like you couldn't even talk in a voice? Like I'm talking right now, like you had to whisper because you just felt like you were surrounded by the majesty of God. That's what it felt like. And you look at all these trees that were around us as I was having this encounter with the Lord at that time of my life and all the beauty and the health of these trees. But did you know that the roots of those trees only go about five or six feet deep? They don't go very deep into the ground. You would think they go deep and form death grips on the ground to produce these healthy, vibrant, massive trees, but they don't. Five, six feet deep. 
but they grow out over a hundred feet and begin intertwining with the roots of other trees. Because these kind of redwoods don't grow by themselves, they grow along with others. Now, this is some great imagery for the church, right? Like you don't grow by yourself. It's us forming roots that intertwine and, and, and mingle to, so that there can be this health. Some researchers uh, um, uh, and people who've done a lot of study on redwoods, these roots have to be so strong, they have to pump hundreds of gallons of water all the way up to the top of these trees to produce this health. Uh, So when it comes to our lives with Jesus, we need roots that are established and are being established, and we need some rhythm in our lives. When Casey and I got married, we went through premarital counseling, but I remember us having conversations of what is our family going to be founded on? Like, what are going to be the roots? How are our roots for our marriage going to be established? And it's not just a great question for marriage and families, but for your life, how are your roots being established in God? So uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Uh, It's a sermon. I've gone to this place before. This is a place I usually lead our staff in some discussions, maybe once a year. It's a place I go to in my own life to kind of measure where I am with God and how faith is. Because in Luke chapter 6, you get this rhythm in the life of Jesus that I think is worth us going back to. Because if a rhythm worked for Jesus, I think it's a rhythm that needs to work for us too. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, what you have is Jesus goes up and he spends the night in prayer with God. It's not the only time he does this. In fact, the page before in Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. This is something he would do quite often. Escape the crowds, get away, go so he can be alone with the Father. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, he does that. He spends the night in prayer with God. He comes down from the mountain in verse 13, and he calls together his 12 apostles. The group of people he's going to spend his most, the mo- most of his time with. Now, sometimes Jesus is with 70. There were women who were with Jesus on this journey. So there were other people who were Jesus' friends in his life and ministry partners. But there were these 12 who were some of his closest friends who would be with him in almost every story that you read in the Gospels. So Jesus goes from solitude and prayer with God for an entire night to community putting together the 12 who are going to walk with him. He's going to lean on them. They're going to lean on him. And then in verse 17, 18, and 19, what you read is Jesus begins teaching to this larger crowd. And not just teaching, he begins driving out demons, healing diseases. So he engages in ministry, compassion, service, justice, whatever you want to call it. It's a little bit of all of that. Where Jesus is announcing kingdom of God. He's declaring the power of God over evil and anything that sets itself up against the wholeness and the kingdom of God in someone's life. Jesus goes from solitude to community to ministry. And all three of these are so important. Because sometimes I'll sit with people and sometimes I've maybe even been in these places in my life where I'm like, you know what, God has given me a gift of service. And just because you have a gift of service doesn't exempt you from the need for some solitude in your life or for a community. And some of you are more contemplative and and you were made to to be able to reflect and to sit and you like being by yourselves and just because that doesn't exempt you from engaging in service. So there's this balance and it doesn't have to be this like 33% of your life is solitude and 33% is community. But if there's a rhythm that worked for Jesus to connect him to the Father and to the Father's plans. It may need to be a rhythm we study in our own lives too. Now, here's what God taught me a few weeks ago when I was at a retreat. 
is because sometimes I feel like when I get alone to be with the Father, I know it's so good for me, but then I'm reminded of all those things going around us. I'm reminded of people who were hurting. I'm reminded of the broken, the, 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 those who were hungry, um, people uh, who need to be fed. I'm reminded of injustices. And there are times when we get alone to be with the Father that we may feel like it's a waste of time because there's other things we need to be doing. But a few weeks ago, what God reminded me of is any time Jesus went away to pray for a night or to get alone to be with the Father, there were hungry bellies to be fed. There were people who needed to be healed. There were demons to be driven out. And there were times that Jesus took his hands off of life to get away to be with the Father so that he could be strengthened, so he could be who God wanted him to be. And if it works for Jesus, it probably needs to work for us too. So I don't know where you are in your life. It's a great thing to reflect on. How are you doing right now in your life when it comes to solitude and investing in meaningful relationships and also in service? Uh, Because if you only invest in one of these areas and neglect the others, there can be this imbalance of faith in your life. So if it's a rhythm that works for Jesus, it needs to be a rhythm that works for us. Now, in the life of our church, what we've laid in front of this church and what we lay in front of new members is a form of this rhythm, and it's with the five commitments. We laid these in front of you last January, and those five commitments are uh, a commitment to discover that we want to ask every person to join in the adventure following Jesus. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ before, if you haven't confessed him as Lord, if you haven't been baptized into Jesus, we want to place that invitation in front of you regularly to enter into this relationship. For those of you who have, the invitation is still there for you to discover the deeper things of God. It's this commitment to this adventurous life. We also lay in front of this church a commitment to connect. And the way we define connect is that we want every person in some kind of small group environment where spiritual formation is taking place. That could be a Bible class, a life group, a discipleship group. But we need to be with some other people trying to sort out and work out what it means to live this life for God. And then there's the commitment to serve, which is a commitment to a ministry team, to uh, some kind of active service and compassion because... To call a church just to be about understanding the Bible, yet not living out what the Bible says creates an imbalance of faith. So there's this commitment to service, to see what God is up to in the world and how how he is inviting the church into the world. There's a commitment to give. And it's not just because we want something from you, but we want something for you. The Bible talks so much about giving and generosity and materialism. So there's this commitment to making sure we are setting aside uh, what is God's. And then there's the commitment to go. And goes pretty broad. It's about living, being a good family person. It's about asking God to give you strength to love neighbors and coworkers that we go into the world to make disciples of all nations. And we lay these in front of you as this holistic way to promote and lay in front of all of us spiritual formation. That God wants to form us from the head to the toe. Everything we are. And what, here's why it matters. <clears throat> um, Because when it comes to the salvation of God, it's not just that God wants to save you from something, it's that God wants to save you into something. He doesn't just want to save you from sin, he wants to save you into a life. He doesn't just want to save you from hell's grasp, he wants to save you into adventurous life where we're thriving with the Spirit, living for God in all that we do. Now, the way the New Testament talks about this sometimes, Paul and Peter and the book of Hebrews, is there are times when what they will say is this, um, you should be ready for meat. But you're not ready for meat because you're still stuck on milk. 
You should be maturing in a way where you're no longer at the elementary stage of faith. Now, some of you may read stuff like that in the Bible. Do you hear that? And there's this guilt that comes over you that you should be doing better. But maybe the best thing some of you could do today is just to acknowledge that you're at an elementary stage or you're still on milk and just lay that before God because I don't see God hearing you say, God, I've been on milk and I've been on milk way too long and I'm ready for the next step of my faith. I don't see God crossing his arms at that request and saying, too late, sorry. It's that God wants to take wherever you are right now. And sometimes it's an acknowledgement, it's a confession that God, I should be much further along in my maturity in you, but I'm not. But will you do something different in my life to just take me a step further and just watch what God will do? So um, sometimes I've, I've, I've even held classes here and I've walked people through the, developing a, uh, what some people call a rule of life or some people call a covenant of life. And, and I'm, I'm going to talk about some of this over the next few weeks. Over the next eight weeks, beginning next week, I'm going to do a series called Grow What It Means for People to Grow, for a Church to Grow, for the Kingdom to Grow, and what that means for us. Um, but I want to just place in front of you the possibility, just giving you some prayers to pray about developing some kind of covenant of life. Like what are those disciplines and practices that you're going to have in your life that connects you to the heart of God and the mission of God this year? Because sometimes I think we want to grow, but we don't provide any space in our lives for God to grow us. I have people come to me sometimes, and I'm, no, I'm, I'm not an expert in prayer. I have not figured this stuff out. But I have people come to me, and they're like, Josh, I, just, I should have a better prayer life than I have, but I don't. What should I do? Now, sometimes I sit with people, and I try to develop like one of these covenants of life because I think we need a plan for spiritual growth, not that you need to love the plan. You need to love God. But there needs to be some kind of plan in your life to devote yourself to the Lord so he can grow you and mature you. And sometimes when it comes to prayer, I have people come to me and they're like, Josh, this week I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to spend two hours a day in prayer. And I'm like, hold up, let, let's, let's talk about this because I don't want you to get into day two and you're going to be discouraged, all right? Why don't you start with this? Can you take two minutes a day where you do nothing but give thanks to God? Can you create two minutes in your life for generosity? And just watch with a heart of gratitude what that will do for your faith. Can you take two five-minute periods during a day where you pray and connect with God? And from there, maybe see where God leads you and how he grows you. But here just some basic steps of, I think it's great for you to pray for yourself, but we also need to be praying for others. But some people spend almost all their time praying for others and they don't pray for themselves at all. As you pray for yourself, maybe the best prayer you could pray this week is, God, what do you want to do with me this year? How do you want to grow me? And as you pray for others, I want to encourage you to pray for them with the kind of faith that after you've been praying for them for a week or two, maybe you can call them up and say, hey, I just, your name was given to me and I've been praying over your name and I just wanted to see, is there, do you sense God working in your life at all? And just to hear stories of what God is doing and how he's connecting you to his mission that is happening in the world. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, Josh, I'm really struggling just reading the Bible. I don't know where to start and I don't really have any disciplines of reading the word. This past year was the first time in my life I made a discipline to read the whole Bible in one year. I've read the entire Bible, but I've never made it an annual goal. And I did because I felt like I just needed to see the bigger picture of scripture and God. 
And maybe that's a discipline for you. I know for some people who are young in their faith, new in their faith, to set out to read the entire Bible may be a great thing for you, but some people get so bogged down in February when you get to Leviticus and Numbers that that, that's like the graveyard where year-long Bible (laughs) reading plans go to die, you know what I'm saying? Um, Sometimes what I encourage people to do is, can you just find five books in the Bible to study this year? And read them and then reread them. And as you read the Bible, it's not just that you read. I think how you read is just as important as what you read. Because I was kind of raised in a church culture that people around me were teaching us here, you read the Bible so that you can sit down and you can tell your Baptists, why your, your friends who are Baptists, why you're different than them. And, and it was about ammunition so that you could enter into arguments. And I, that, that kind of reading of the Bible is not appealing to me at all. But as we read the Word... What's the good news? Who's it good news for? I have a discipline in my life right now that when I'm reading the word, I read the word, I want to see what it has to say about God. Why is it good news? What does it have to say to me? And then a lot of times what I ask is, God, is a, I'm reading this right now. Would you put a face in front of me, uh, someone at church, someone in our community that I can bless with this word? So some of you, sometimes I'll just, I'll copy and paste a few verses or a passage and I'll send it to you because I, I don't just want to read the word. I want to know how the word needs to bless other people and encourage them. There needs to be some disciplines of solitude in your life. There needs to be some disciplines of community. And I, I want to really encourage Christians in, in our culture today that just because Christians engage in fellowship doesn't mean that there's meaningful like edification taking place. So even when your life groups and discipleship groups and your groups get together, sometimes fellowship is great and just being together is really good, but there needs to be some way that questions are being presented and the faith is coming up for our own edification. So a lot of times when we have people over to our house, we're laughing and Casey and I love to laugh with people and tell stories and embarrassing stories. And then sometimes I'll take a turn in relationships and people are at her house and Casey's like grabbing my leg under the table like that. It's, you just went from laughing to going deep and really quick. And uh, because sometimes I, like questions I go to now is questions like, man, if there's a married couple at my house, especially a married couple that's older than us, I, was, I love to ask, what, what was the best year of your marriage and what was the worst year and how'd you get through? I love to ask, what are, the, what are the joy killers in your life right now so that Casey and I can know how to pray? What is draining you of hope? What's giving you the most hope? And as we're together with Christians, can we allow our conversations to be more than just getting together? Because in the gospel, in the Bible, fellowship among Christians, it's not just hangout. It's somehow developing ways to have conversations about faith in Jesus. And I don't know for you how you need to engage in forms of compassion for yourself, with your family, with the church. We have a lot of ways to do that through the life of this church. But for your spiritual health and your development, it's not just about having a prayer life and being in the Word and being with the church. It's, okay, God, how are you calling me outside of myself into the world that you're so eager to redeem? There are days that I feel really guilty because I want to do more. I want to no more neighbors in Binghampton where we live. I want to I do more. I want to be more. There's so many problems around us. And, and I just have to sit back and say, okay, I'm not Jesus. Jesus does a pretty good job of being Jesus. Um, the calling on my life is that whoever is in front of me, whoever they may be, 
whether I know them or not? Can I love them to the very best of my ability? Uh, last last uh, Monday, Casey's family came and did Christmas at our house this year. So we we're all down in Binghampton. It was a beautiful day last Monday. And we were outside and we started playing basketball in our driveway. And we live in a neighborhood that when the basketball begins to bounce, kids begin to come from about four blocks away. And it turned into this great game of basketball. Now, we played knockout. Maybe some of you know what knockout is, but 20 people can play knockout. And we had kids as young as six, and we had kids as old as 14, and and we're all playing in a game of knockout. This gets pretty competitive, all right? Casey's the most competitive in our family, all right? It gets pretty competitive. And there was this new kid who came. I'd never met him before. He looked like a grown man. He was only 17, but he looked like he was 35, all right? I never met him before, and he came up, and he started playing with us. Now, I think you should know that all these kids, and there were some kids who were playing in that day who were great ballers, and we played a game of knockout, and you know who won the first game? Casey won, all right? And you had these kids in our, <laughs> you had these kids in our neighborhood who were like, a white lady just beat us in, in basketball. <laughs> we're never going to live this down. <clears throat> so we dispersed. Everybody went home. That night, I had my Tony Romo Dallas Cowboy jersey on. Monday night football is about to start, and there's a knock on our door. It's about 7.25 at night. And I look out the peephole, and all I see is some person holding a Bible. And I'm like, dude, Jehovah Witnesses on Monday night <laughs> at 7.25? The Cowboys are about to play. Are you kidding me? And then I look, and it's this 17-year-old guy who looks like he's 35 who's holding his Bible. And I just gotta, I gotta confess, at first I was like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. Like, kickoff's about to happen, man. And, and what are you gonna do? You're gonna read a Bible and then ask me for, you know, you're hungry or something? You know, and my mind was just, I, my heart was in a bad place. I had to repent of it. And I opened the door and I went out and he's like, man, I didn't even introduce myself earlier, but my, main, my name's D-Lo. I said, man, my name's Josh. He said, can I sit down for a minute and tell you part of my story? And I was still wasn't in this great place. I was like, well, dude, I mean, standing up, I mean, can you just write it down and send it to me, you know, later in the week? I was like, yeah, and he sat down, and he just started reading 1 John chapter 1, where his Bible was open up to. And then he looked up at me, and I'm not exaggerating this, all right? There was this tear coming out of one of his eyes. And he held up 1 John 1, and he said, can you explain this to me? I was like, well, man, I hear, there's a story in the book of Acts like this, Right? It's like Philip just has this guy who's like, man, can you explain the word of God to me? So we talked about 1 John 1 and about light and darkness and what happens if there's sin in our lives where we refuse to call it sin. And, and I just said, man, I, how can I encourage you? What, do you? what do you need from me? And he said, well, you prayed this over me. So I was able to pray the word of God over him and we're going to get together again next week. And I ask you to pray for Dila. And I also want to lay in front of you. Can you think of two to five people in your life who either don't know the Lord or they're not living with the Lord and those two to five people become the people you pray for every day. And you don't just pray for them, but you pray for God to help you know how to be light to them. I want to ask those who are serving communion, will you go ahead and go to the back and and get the bread as we transition to the table? And in a few moments after communion, we're going to come back with a time of prayer. And 
in that time of prayer, we've set up tables, and I'm just, I want to leave it really broad for you when we sing a couple of songs in a few moments, that if there's a word or a phrase or something you want us as leaders to be praying over you in 2017, I want you to take time in a few moments to go to the table and write those down. But as we come to this table today, this is something as a church we do every week. We take the bread, we take the cup. And, and this, is, this is so much more than obligation. Every single week, this is invitation. This is Jesus inviting you to a table. And for some, this is a place that we come and we reflect on the death of Jesus. For some, you spend more time thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. What we do is Jesus is the one who invites us to this table. And today, it's really fun for me to have like the first Sunday of the year that we're taking communion together. Because in some ways, when we take communion, what it is, it's, it's, a, it's, a re, it's re-upping. It's recommitting our ways to the Lord. This isn't just about you appeasing God for the things you've done in the past or over the past week. This is invitation of that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed, so you could be freed from sin so that we can live a certain way this week. So uh, can we close our eyes and bow our heads where we are? And I just want to ask you uh, where you are. Will you take just a moment silently where you are? Just give thanks to God for what he has accomplished through Jesus. He didn't have to do it. But Jesus took on upon himself on the cross every sin that has been committed since the beginning of time. And as you reflect on it, it's almost like every day God prolongs sending Jesus back reveals how much stronger Jesus was on the cross to take on the sin of the world. And it was because he was committed to salvation and redemption. I want you to ask God now, uh, before the trays are passed, how he is inviting you, where he is inviting you. God, as I take this, as I take the bread and cup this morning, how are you inviting me to a deeper place? Where is it you are inviting me? And ask God to reveal to you where it is he may be leading you. And God, we take this bread today thanking you for all you have done. In the name of Jesus, we pray.